uh, find out more details. Beautiful facility. It'll be a great time. And uh, memories that we'll never forget. I can't wait to see what will go wrong because those are always the best memories. Dave, come on up here if you will. Dave is the director of Cadence International. How many of you have heard of Cadence before? It's a uh, ministry for military and around the world. And actually the Cadies, who we have supported here at Dillon Community Church, are part of Cadence and have been a part of their ministry for a very long time. And Dave uh, is going to share the word. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for Dave. Fill him with your spirit. And may we learn, be challenged today. Thank you for uh, his love for you. And uh, we give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, I am going to start with a story of regret when I was a kid, but it's about my brother, so it's relatively safe for me. You know, it's interesting just to see all your kids up here, and as Mark is just casually interviewing them, I could feel the tension among the parents. Like, you were just willing your kids not to raise their hands. I felt that. Like, please don't answer that. Isn't that a fun stage? You just have no idea what's going to come out of your kids' mouths I remember that stage. Our youngest is a senior in high school. So, I mean, there's still that issue sort of with him. But we have four kids. I remember that stage. Beautiful, beautiful kids on a great sign of the health of this church. Yes, we've all done things we regret. But I'm going to tell a story about my older brother, John. When I was in fourth grade, I saw him jump out a second floor window. And uh, I was right there uh, in the windowsill. He wasn't trying to hurt himself. He didn't hurt himself. Uh, The regret came later uh, uh, related to my dad and his displeasure. But we, uh, I grew up in western Washington, Tacoma, Seattle area. And at the time, my mom and dad, our dogs, and six of us kids lived in a tiny little farmhouse that we were renting. And me and my three brothers slept. Our bedroom was literally up in the attic. No insulation, just the rafters and plywood generally covering the floor and a couple of beds. Uh, That's where we lived and hung out. Well, one day, my older brother, John, pulled us four brothers together up there in the bedroom. And he huddled us up and he said, brothers, I've been thinking. Now, this should have been our first clue because John wasn't like famous for that exercise right there. He said, I've been thinking. What would we do if there's a fire and we got to get out of here? Now, this house was heated by an old wood-burning furnace in the basement. And John had the idea that if that old furnace caught fire, that fire would work its way up to the main floor and then work its way up and trap us in the attic. So he said, I've been thinking, what will we do in that scenario? And uh, he said, well, there's, there's basically three options. There's the stairs. But fire tends to creep up the stairs, and I'm pretty sure this fire would block our way down the stairs. I was in fourth grade. It sounded reasonable to me. And then he said, then there was a window on this side and a window on that side. The window over here would have been perfect because it went out to the top of a flat garage and it actually had an escape ladder. But John said, you know, the fire comes up the stairs. The stairs end right by this window. We can't go out that window. So he took us three little brothers. My other two brothers are younger than me. He took us over to this window, and he opened it up and said, here's what we're going to do. Western Washington, and if you ever lived out there, you know we just have these massive evergreen trees. Well, there was a tree sort of near the house, 
about where this young man is. That's where the trunk is. And there was a lower branch, lower, second floor up, that came, it ended about, you know, six, eight feet from the window. So John's idea was this. One at a time, the fire's coming up and is about to catch us and consume us. We get up in the window and we launch ourselves through the air and we get a hold of that branch. And our weight lowers us down to the ground. And then we let go of the branch. And then the next brother gives it a whirl. This actually sounded kind of like a cool idea. Here's what John was getting to. He said, you know, somebody needs to test this out. Somebody. So we took a vote. We were all in favor of John, including him, testing it out. So he got to the window, and before we could actually stop him, he was up, and then he was launched. And just like he said, he flew through the air toward that branch. And just like he said, he got a hold of it. And just like he said, it started to lower him to the ground. But what he didn't expect was that branch to break off right at the trunk of the tree. And John and this huge branch, excuse me, Fell two floors. And we're looking down and we're scared because he's not moving. We think he's dead. We're looking down and we're angry. He'd wrecked our fire escape. Wrecked it. And he starts to twitch. We don't know if twitching is good or not in this situation, but he is just twitching. He's laughing. He's laughing. Funnest thing that had happened to him all day. He just thought... Well, that didn't work, (laughs) but he got a free ride on a branch until my dad came out, and this was not the first little adventure of John, and so the regret came as he got in trouble with my dad, and we three brothers happily watched him get in trouble. That was sort of a common scenario growing up. Now, my brother, John, he's still alive. He's still alive. He survived so many adventures. In fact, he has five kids. And four of them are boys, and when they were little, it was payback for what he did to my parents. When they started jumping off his roof with a a sheet, you know, as a parachute, and good stuff, my parents just smiled and nodded, and John just took him to get the bones fixed. (laughs) He was like, yeah, it's okay, his poor wife. Anyway, that's John and that tree. And when I thought back to that incident, it's not just a great memory, but I thought, what what an amazing picture of a lot of what I have experienced in life, in particular in relationships. Because in relationships, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of hurt and failure and consequences. There's a lot of fear Sometimes there's a lot of courage. I've experienced uh, a lot of that in a lot of relationships. But in relationships, there's also joy and exhilaration and adventure and some of the most important meaning in life. It's all mixed together with the branch. And I realized, that was in fourth grade, when I got to college, I realized... I spent a lot of my life sort of hanging out in the windowsill of relationships. And I was missing out. I was playing as safe. I, I had, even as a young man, hurt that hadn't healed. 
that I thought, well, you know what? It's actually just better if I stay here where it's safe versus trying this adventure. And as we think this morning, uh, the Lord just led me to this little passage in Philippians that has become so important to me, a little prayer of Paul, just three verses long. Relationships and love, that's a huge topic. It's, it's the biggest one in Scripture. It's the biggest one in our lives. It's probably the most important one, Scriptures say, that um, marks you as a church and how well you're actually doing in life with God and each other, the health and state of your relationships. And uh, I know from Jim, you know, he brags about you guys. We've been friends a long time. And he expresses his appreciation for how much you love each other, but how much you love this community. And that says a lot to me. Jim and Nancy and my wife and I, we go all the way back to years in Germany where we served in the same military community. Uh, they did our hospitality house ministry, was discipleship ministry out of their home near that base, and we did the youth ministry on base, became friends. And then a little later, Jim, Jim came on our board, um, and he was the chairman of our board for nine years, uh, and he and I have become lifelong close friends. I love Jim deeply. I'm glad he's your pastor. Hope you are too. If you're not, go ahead and tell him. You'll have a good conversation. <laughs> I love everything about Jim except his brain. His brain, and if you're listening to this, Jim, your brain, it just wears me out, brother. It's just so, he's just so smart. And I'm not saying I ain't smart or anything, but when we sit down for coffee, I'm ready to talk about the Broncos or whatever, and he's all like, David, what's your latest thoughts on the hypostatic union of the theanthropic person of Christ and its theological implications for our lives and my church? <laughs> and I'm all like, I'm totally into it, man. So that's our relationship in a nutshell. And if you know Ben and Connie Katie, you know that on the topic of love, uh, they're, they're the poster children in Cadence for people that for 50 years, uh, lived out their lives on behalf of military people and loved so well. So thank you for being a part of that. You, you can't imagine the fruit that's connected to all those years of ministry through just that one couple that, that you're a part of. You'll find out in heaven one day, and that's just one couple. But we're talking about this big topic, and I'm going to let these three verses just kind of focus this on a few things. Because Jesus summed the whole law and the prophets up in love God and love each other. Uh, but these verses uh, come out of Philippians. I don't know if you love the book of Philippians. It's one of my favorite in Scripture. I think one of the reasons is such a great focus on joy. Over 17 times, Paul references a, a life of joy. And I resonate with that. I, I want to live a life of joy. But more than that, he emphasizes over 40 times who Jesus is. Over 40 references to Christ in this book. And I think his message through the book is, give your life to Christ wholeheartedly. Joy will be the result. I could quit right there. That's a great message, but we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. So if you'll open up to it, turn on your Bible, whatever you do. And this is, this is Paul's prayer. Now, he's, he's uh, speaking to this little church, this little Roman colony outpost that would become a very significant part in the movement of the gospel. 
And he's encouraging this church. And it's interesting to me. He, he thanks them for their partnership in the first part. But in this letter then, he turns to a prayer for them as he's prone to do throughout his books. And I love the prayers of Paul. I love the prayers of Jesus. Uh, prayers, the content of prayers tells us so much. The content of your prayers and my prayers, they, they tell us what's important. What, what's on our mind right now. And it's just so interesting. The thing that's on Paul's mind, the first thing about this little church is the state of their relationships. So let's look at it and think about it together. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 9, he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Three verses that tells us so much. If you remember Stephen Covey in his book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he reminded us how important it is to begin with the end in mind. And look at the end of this sentence. To the glory and praise of God. Here we have a little uh, glimpse into what brings glory and praise to God which is the, really the purpose of our life. That when people see our lives, they go, I'm interested. I'm interested in God. God's done that work in that person. Hmm, interesting. Our lives are a reflection of his glory. So it's important. What does he say before? Well, I'm going to just give you my three-point outline from these three verses, and it's simply this. That Paul is telling us, if we want to bring glory to God, that we need to pursue a life that does three things. Pursue a life and a love that lives. Number one, we're to pursue a love that lives. Number two, we're to pursue a love that learns. And number three, we're to pursue a love that liberates. Lives, learns, liberates. First thing he says is, pursue a love that lives. And it's just in these first few words This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. May abound. This word is is that that your love may be healthy, alive, active, uh, rich, thriving more and more. Um, The first thing on his heart as he prays for this church is their relationships, the state of their relationships, and that they're not just in survival mode, but that they're thriving. They're, they're filled with uh, health. I don't know if you get, can you garden up here in the summer? You know, you have to, things have to go pretty quickly, right? My, uh, my father-in-law grew up in a farm, and he had a half acre there in Inglewood, Colorado. Uh, we've lived there 20 years now. I've been at the headquarters 20 years. And we lived in another spot. He gardened that whole half acre. And about 12 years ago, I asked him if we could build a house on his garden. And my wife said, please don't do that. Please don't ask him that. But I did anyways. And he says I caught him at a good time. It was in the fall. He was weary. He's, you know, in his 80s. And uh, so we built a house on it. But I had to borrow a, a, uh, 
what do you call those things? They're little things with the scoopy things and the skid, whatever, caterpillar skidding, right over thing. Yeah, whatever. Okay, doesn't matter. I'm so mechanical. So I'm in this thing, and he had topsoil over the years, about 8 to 10 inches. It was just beautiful black. His compost pile is like 15 by 20. I had to, I had to remove it all off that property <laughs> and push it to the sides because <clears throat> we weren't, we weren't going to waste that. <clears throat> so we did. We built. But then now there's garden behind, on the side, all around. And... Because he's such a great gardener, the, the, beauty, the, the beauty of the health of that bounty is just amazing. But it takes a lot of water. Um, it takes a lot of work. That's the picture in Scripture. You know, the agrarian uh, society of Israel, the picture of, of crops. If your relationships are healthy, it's just good stuff. The fruit of the Spirit just coming out of it, thriving. And so we have to ask ourselves on this first point, you know, the people around me, are they, do they look like they're in survival mode or are they thriving? And it's not all dependent on us, but really are we pouring regularly water? And, and to me, the water in, in Scripture is the water of encouragement, of, of affirmation. Hebrews uh, 3.13 says, encourage each other daily. See, see a need, give a word, or, or do an act of kindness, encouragement. We all need that regularly because life strips the soil of relationships. Relationships strip the soil of our hearts. We can live life and in our relationships just feel like, man, it just, I'm being poured out and, and, and I don't know if there's enough in there to go around and and now the preacher, this guest preacher, he's encouraging us to, to give more, to be encouraging. And I am. I think about how often I forget that the people around me, they need this water. They need me to see who they are and recognize and say or do something. I know we have a lot of young mothers out here. I mean, wow, there's 40-some. Way to go. Wow. Talk about fruit. That's beautiful. When our kids were little, I just was so uh, amazed. In fact, when I get the opportunity to speak and teach on leadership, I use young mothers as my prime example of some of the finest leaders I know. Never mind the men and all of us, business, whatever stuff we do out there. You organize and lead three, four, however many kids just to get out the door and stay alive. This, this is a miracle and an, an exceptional leadership day in and day out. So bless you. But it's exhausting. You know, a young mother doesn't come to the end of her day. She gets into bed and her husband gets into bed and he says, Honey, you know, thank you so much for loving our kids today. She doesn't go, Oh, stop. I don't want any more encouragement. I mean, all day long, the kids have been thanking me and praising me and <laughs> rising up to call me blessed. Please don't encourage me anymore. No. The opposite. Drain. How, how much of an encourager are you? Sometimes it just takes thought and intentionality. It also takes James one nineteen, be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to anger. Who says the scripture is not practical? Be quick to listen. A lot of times we don't encourage other people because we're just too busy talking about ourselves. There's a place for that. But if you want to encourage people, you've got to be someone who asks questions and really wants to know and cares about the answer. You've got to. You've got to be slow to speak. Quick to listen. That takes thought sometimes. And it's not that we don't ever get to speak about ourselves, but if you find yourselves speaking more than you listen, and there's personality thing here, and there's verbal, pro- I know all, all that, but as a general rule, the people in your life are going to thrive more, and your relationships will thrive more if you're a person who cares enough to ask questions and listen. That's how you get a love that lives. Number two, he not only says, prays for their, their love, that it would be abounding, healthy, uh, full of encouragement, affirmation, that we guard our words. Proverbs reminds us that the tongue is the power of life and death, that we, we, we guard our words from the, the words that take away life, the criticism, the contempt, the gossip, the slander. We just hold those words there and ask God to remove them from our life so we can give the other. Because we know what it's like to be the recipient of both when it comes from a genuine place. One is broken and painful. And we've all done it. We've all said words we regret. Thank God for his grace and forgiveness. But he also says, live a love that learns. Look back at the passage. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. How? Will it abound more and more? In knowledge and depth of insight. In knowledge and depth of insight. So here he's, he's defining that even a little bit more. And he's talking about growing continually, being uh, people uh, who love and learn. Our knowledge of the other person or people, our understanding, our wisdom, our perception. Are we learning about other people? I think one of the dangers here is that after we've known people for a long time, whatever the relationship, we start to assume that we've kind of gathered our knowledge, that we know them. It's familiar. My wife, Joyce, who I really look forward to you meeting at the retreat, sign up just to hear her speak. She's good. She's awesome. Uh, This summer we've been married 30 years. I'm so familiar with her. When she's walking around the house, zigzagging, doing her thing and talking, I now know when she's talking to herself and when she's talking to me. (laughs) I didn't know that for a number of years. It was so confusing. I'd always be like, what? Huh? What? So I learned it's just best to sort of ignore her in a loving way. And then if there's a long silence, I know I've missed something. That's good husbanding right there. 30 years. And I just, I, I'm so familiar. But if I believe the lie that, yeah, I got it now, then I'm missing out on the fact of the great complexity of who she is as a person made in the image of God. And that every day we're in a whole new chapter of our lives. We're in the chapter of our youngest going to college. 
And that's, as many of you know, that's just a massive transition that we're both being affected by. So don't assume. We also assume that uh, people are basically kind of like us in how we think, and, or they should be kind of like us in how we think and view. And so we're just assuming they know because people think like us. And it's just the farthest thing from the truth. We're all actually pretty unique in our thought processes. And God made everybody really uniquely, beautifully different. I remember making this mistake with our oldest son, Justin, when he was just a little guy, five years old or so. And, uh, you know, at that, at that time, we were really just tight budget month to month, just young family, barely getting by, you know. And so, I, and I, I'm a sport guy, so I, I just, I, I, I'm still playing basketball. I coach basketball at Inglewood High School. In fact, yesterday I played two hours of basketball. That's why I can hardly walk today. But I just love sports. But I'm too cheap to buy tickets to the Nuggets or the Avs or Broncos or whatever. So I'd always just pray, dear God, would you just send somebody with free tickets? Please. And if they have a condo in the mountains, that would be awesome too. But I'll take the free tickets. And every now and then, you know, free, someone will say, hey, I got two tickets to whatever. And so I got two tickets to the Avs. This was a number of years ago. And this, these were the years where they were winning the Stanley Cup. And I thought, man, I don't care where they are in the arena. My son and I are going to the Avs. I was so excited. So Justin and I, we go to the Avs. And it's the first time I realized once we went in the stadium and our seats were up in the nosebleed, when we started up, I realized for the first time in five years, our son is terrified of heights. Terrified. Literally, he wasn't going to go up. Now, as a father, I know the best thing for him would be to watch the Avs at any cost. Build character. It's for his good. So we ended up on our hands and knees crawling all the way up the stairs. This is how dedicated I am to my son's growth. <laughs> and seeing an half game. We, we crawled all the way up. We crawled all the way over. Excuse us. You know, we just crawled over. And then we didn't sit in our seats. We sat hanging onto the chair. He was terrified. Exactly, the response. And, and so we start, we're watching the abs, and I'm all excited to teach them about hockey and the testosterone and the, you know, praying for a fight to break out so I can explain whatever. And, you know, and he wasn't interested at all. Zero. He wanted to know how the sound system worked. I made something up. He wanted to know how the ice stayed frozen and how the Nuggets also played. And it was all these questions about things I didn't know. Not one thing about hockey. We still had a good experience. We managed to get ourselves out of there and we got home, put into bed. I was, just, I was happy to have time with my son. But then I'm processing with Joyce. And I'm like, this is how it went. You know, it was kind of disappointing. He just wasn't into hockey. And she looked at me and she said words which I still have not forgotten and will never forget to this day. And I quote her exactly. No matter what she may say at the retreat, this is the exact quote. David, Justin is not like you. He is quiet, thoughtful, and intelligent. She didn't hear my first point about encouragement. 
And I was like, why? (laughs) Okay. And she goes, oh, I know, let me rephrase that. And then then she started talking about his personality. And she was basically saying to me, you're assuming because he's your son, he's like you. He thinks like you. He loves the things you love. He's not you. And here I, I'm the president of a mission agency to the military. So one of the key things I do in my job is equip and train and teach our staff to go into a military community and get to know them and start with where they're at because that's what love does. That's what the incarnation taught us. And then you go to where they are at and you contextualize the gospel through your life. I teach that. I train that. That's part of my job. And here with my own son, I'm making this huge mistake because I'm human and I just assume. Don't assume. Be people who have eyes to look, to question, to be intrigued. To want to know. Because that's a love that learns. And that love that learns causes relationships to thrive. How are we doing on that today? And then finally, there are two really key words in this text. So look look at this text again. He goes through these things we just talked about. And then the start of verse... 10. He says two one syllable keywords in the whole text. So that. So that. I call these hinge words. Everything that is about to follow depends upon what he has just talked about. It won't happen without it. We live this way so these things can take place and look at what they are. So that, number one, you may be able to discern what is best. Paul is saying that separate from healthy, vibrant, learning relationships, there is no way for you to know what is best in your life. That's pretty big. What is best? What is most important? There's... So much relationship in wisdom. And so much wisdom in relationship. Number one, you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Our holiness is dependent upon our relationships. I have quiet times. I do solo retreats. I love God's nature. I'm an introvert at at heart, just a little bit over the line. But I'm over there enough to go... You know, like last night, we had our son's 18th birthday party. About 9.30, 10 o'clock, something inside of me goes, please get out of my house. I don't say that, but I think it pretty consistently. And some of you do too. Some of you are like, 9.30, way to hang in there. Okay, so, because my capacity, you know, is just, I, I need private time. Um, uh, I need solitude. And that difference, that, that is different for different people. Um, 
But that's not where I become holy. That the intake of God's word and the worship, that, that is a, a part of the process. But scripture, not just here, but throughout scripture, our holiness is really forged in our relationships. That's the point. That's where our worst is exposed. Where only you and that other person in your home or wherever know what you can really be like. But it's also the place where through God's grace and the Spirit, our very best can emerge. Our most other-centered, amazing, there is a God because I just... It's forged. It's, it's, it's wrestled out. It's, your faith has proved genuine in the failures and the challenges and in the, in the crucible of our closest relationships. And so if we don't have close relationships, we're never going to be as holy as God intends us to. Because this is how he designed it. We discern what's best, pure, uh, pure and blameless, so they are Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I love that language, the fruit, through Jesus Christ. This is the encouragement for us, because in this crucible of love, we all have so many regret and so many failure, and yet, yet we have today. We have today to encourage. And fruit is something that happens through us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The first three right there. Through Jesus Christ and his work inside of us. That's the heart of what we're, where the text is. They'll know we're Christians by our love. It's this peace right here. This love. From our lives being transformed by Christ. And this comes with humility and saying, man... At this deepest place, my motives are off, my, my intents, the things I say, the things I do. I don't want to do, but I still do them. But by the grace of God, I'm going to humble myself and repent and say, God, change me. Because that's the truth of living in relationships is, number one, when we love like this, it does change people's lives. We have an impact Don't waste your life primarily thinking about yourself. Let other people do that. Primarily think about how you can be a blessing to others, and you will be one of the most blessed people walking around Dillon, Colorado. That's what Jesus says. But loving others changes us. That's the point of this text, too. It transforms us as we come to the end of ourselves, and we realize... This fruit of righteousness that brings glory to God is connected to our, my relationships and how I'm doing in those. And this morning, I, you know, as I wrap up, <clears throat> mostly I just I really want to encourage you that t- to not lose heart in this. Don't don't stay in a windowsill of safety. I mean, all of life. And all the ways we're treated and all the things we've been through and the ways we've been wounded, our human hearts would just say, just, just survive. And we give a little here and there, but just survive. Just. The problem is this is the way to death. And it feels so backwards that the protecting myself is going to somehow give me life, but it has the opposite effect. It's like a cistern with a hole in it instead of a well. So, you know, for me, uh, just thinking about this text again and thinking about 
the relationships in my life, I just think, oh God, there, there's a part of me that so longs for safety. That, that part of me is going to be totally happy in heaven. But down here, I, it's never going to be safe. Who, who is God just putting on your heart to say, hey, don't give up. Take a risk. Take a jump. Who, who needs forgiveness that you haven't been able to forgive? What would it mean to, to release them? Um, who needs encouragement? Who around me is just sort of surviving that and part, it's partly my fault because I don't see and give and look to encourage and affirm and I'm talking too much instead of listening. These are the practical implications for us to think about. And I do understand life. Sometimes loving others means releasing them from relationship with you because of the dysfunction or the unhealth or whatever. Um, I, I do understand that there's a place for that. And sometimes we get sort of stuck in those relationships because even though it's horrible, it's, it's still safe somehow. Sometimes we have to take a stand on those two. And I understand. But most of the time, that's more of a rare moment. Most of the time we're given up too quickly because of the hurt or the hurt it triggers. So I'm going to pray for you and for me as we think about this little text today. And when we get to the retreat in the fall and we think about being refreshed and connected and repurposed, we're going to talk a lot more about relationships because of what this passage and many others say, that refreshment, connection to God and others and purposing in life has as its hub and atmosphere our relationships, wherever that springs out. Live a, live a love that lives. Live a love that learns. Live a love that liberates you, frees you to become like Christ. Give glory to him. Okay? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are the encourager and comforter. So I pray, Lord, that your comfort would descend on us because this, this message can stir up hurt and wounds and even horrific things that we have gone through. We need your comfort. We need your encouragement. And Lord, we need your touch of healing on our lives. We don't want to allow our, our hurt to define us and how we behave. Lord, liberate us from that. Give us eyes to see God. Give us words to say. Give us hope for the people around us. Put the water in us that is never-ending that comes from you. Springs of living water, God. That we wouldn't have to dole it out in measure because of uh, this broken cistern that's empty and on us all the time. Just give us your Holy Spirit love, joy, peace. Today, and for my brothers and sisters who are thinking about a person or people right now, would you just give them wisdom and discernment, Lord, about what, what step, even if it's a, a step of prayer for that person and, and, and bringing them into your throne room. Lord, just lead us, uh, strengthen the love of this church. So encouraged by the strength that is here. Just strengthen it even more. May it overflow to each other in this community. To your honor and glory, I pray this for my friends in your name.